Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. It's great to have you here worshiping together. I'm, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And um, as you can see, I'm kind of bouncing between things this morning. It's Labor Day weekend, and so a lot of the people who would be doing some of these other uh, aspects of worship are out of town. So I get the joy of doing a few extra things this morning to get a workout as I worship. Um, well, over the next four weeks, one of the things that I want to do is give some thought into consideration how worship, both personal and corporate worship, give shape to our formation as people. So today, um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1, which is the entrance to the Psalter. Um, next week, we're going to be in Deuteronomy, and then we're going to be in the book of Amos, which I know many of you have memorized, um, but we'll be in the book of Amos for a few weeks, and after that, we're going to spend three weeks together in the book of Habakkuk together, sort of following the lectionary, but taking how, how worship forms us as, as people, as creatures. So this morning's psalm, it opens as a poem. It's sort of this timeless statement about the way things are. You can even say, as things ought to be. Um, and I was thinking this morning, have you ever had somebody remind you about the way things ought to be um, when they're not actually that way? I was thinking about when I was a young driver, and I had gotten into my car, and someone said, you know, when you, when you want to start the car, you just... Turn the key, hold it, wait for that sound, and then it started. Like You hardly even need to mention that because uh, that's just the way that it works. But when it doesn't work right, it doesn't work right, and then it beckons us to something. You know, it's like every time this should work, 99% of the time it does. But when it doesn't, it's this invitation for us to ask, what in the world is wrong with my car? <laughs> and so I was this young driver. I don't know if I was 16 or 18, but I was cruising around in my Ford Taurus. And I remember this Ford Taurus used to idle really hard when I was uh, stopped anywhere. You just kind of feel the car shaking violently. And so this thing used to stall out at stoplights all the time. And it was fine. I figured out a rhythm. But the first time it happened, I freaked out. I'm a young driver. We're sitting here at a stoplight. And all of a sudden, the car just dies. And I have my foot on the brake, the car is dead, and the key wouldn't start it up. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with the car. I tried so many things, and it just was taking too long. So I, in my humiliation, put the flashers on and sat there in shame as people honked at me and went around me. And I called my dad and said, you know, Dad, um, here's what's going on with the car. I can't figure it out. And he simply asked, well, is it in park? Uh, and I could feel my face getting really red all of a sudden. The blood just kind of coming up. And with embarrassment, no, no, it's not in park. I'm going to have a hard time getting it started then. <laughs> so sure enough, I 
put the car back in park, took my foot off the brake, started it up. It worked fine. And so from then on, every time it stalled, I knew. Throw it in park real quick, turn it on, and then you can go. And it worked. Uh, well, I mean, if that's fine, then it worked fine. But uh, I'm not sure that was fine. <laughs> but I never made that mistake again. And, and so... Uh, when we think about the car not working the way it's supposed to, it, it was an invitation for me to ask for help. And, and that's kind of what Psalm 1 does for the Psalter. Psalm 1 just starts with the baseline. It shows us how things are supposed to work, how things generally do work. Uh, and of course, the answer to our problems is far more complicated than turning on a car. Uh, but what Psalm 1 does is it invites us to pray between that space of the reality I'm in and what's actually supposed to be happening. The mess that I'm in and God's promises. Um, it's an invitation. There are many times where you and I look at Psalm 1 and, and his promises and we go, you know what, that is not what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm not sure there was ever a time in history where somebody was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm totally living in that. I've been there for years. It's been great. And that's why you have the rest of the Psalter. Because what Psalm does, that Psalm 1 does, is it invites our messes to be brought in light of God's promises. To live in that tension of the way things ought to be and the way things are right now. And so worship has this similar kind of impact for you and for me. In worship, what we get to know, we, we get to know God's word, uh, which invites us to hold our messes in front of the promises of God and ask God, you know, why, why don't things match up to all the good things that you promised? So Psalm 1 invites us to submit our, our mess to his promise. And what it does, it does that by encouraging us to set ourselves firmly in God's instruction, in his guidance. And when we're set there in his guidance and in his instruction, that's where we actually flourish. It presents two ways. And you kind of heard that language in Deuteronomy this morning. I set before you the way of life and the way of death. That theme is common throughout the Bible and even in the early church. Um, it's very common in the wisdom literature. It's put in really stark terms. And life is filled, though, with messiness. It's filled with this vacillation between being self-aware and, and self-doubting, between love, between hatred, between trust and suspicion. And all of those things on any given day are competing for our affections and our attention. And there are real choices every day that you and I have to make between the way of life and the way of death. And so it's helpful to have this set in stark terms. What it does is it lays out a path of life, the path of life associated with the promises of God as an invitation to the Psalms. And, um, and, and, the, and worship does the same thing for us, both when we think about corporate worship together and when we think about private worship or worship in the household, uh, worship by yourself in the secret place where only God dwells. And... Um, and so we find God in those daily responsibilities that he calls us to. Verse 1 talks about blessing. It says, Blessed is this one who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor stood in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seat of scoffers. And I want to be clear, it's not what it's saying is you should avoid people who don't love God at all costs, right? Because even Jesus ate with sinners. Um, so what it's talking about is walking, standing, and sitting. 
When we think of walking, that often refers to a course of life. Your course of life shouldn't be the same course of life as the wicked. Standing in the way of sinners describes what we stand for. Like, in what way are we standing for something? Sitting with scoffers refers to a kind of scheming, plotting, advising, uh, and support for the things that are opposed to God's kingdom and his teaching. And ultimately, then what it's saying is we need to be cautious about the way that we live, about what we stand for, and about the kind of counsel that we take. We have to watch those things. But when you read that, you kind of go, you know what, those categories feel so black or white. Like, it feels like that hardly needs to be said. Who says, you know what, I want to, what I want to do is I want to walk in the way of sinners. I want to stand in the, in the way of, uh, of sorry, sinners and, and wicked. And I, I want to sit with scoffers. Like, nobody says that. And so, you know, why does he even have to say that? <clears throat> and if we are in that place where we're opposed to God, how do we know? How do we find that out? And so I think what's helpful is verse 2 sort of clarifies this. Um, you can avoid walking, standing, and sitting with the wrong crowd by making God's word your delight and your meditation. It says that the one who's blessed has this habit of meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. In the picture, they didn't read silently like we do in modern times. You can picture somebody sitting there muttering to themselves the word of God. Um, and the law, or in Hebrew they talk about Torah, uh, the law can refer to those first five books of Moses, like Deuteronomy that we read this morning. But the law has this broader application than just the first five books of the Bible. It can refer in a lot of wisdom literature to the, the guidelines or the instructions of God. That's what Torah means, it's instruction. And so using the word law, you know, sometimes that's a hang-up in this song. Because we can think about the law has a, a list of rights and wrongs. It feels stiff. feels a little rigid. And who wants to sit and mutter that to themselves, right? Um, all the things that are right and wrong. You know, it's um, too simplistic. So, but in, in this context, what I think it refers to, at the very least, is the rest of the Psalter. Think about the rest of the Psalter as God's instruction for you. And it invites us to consider beyond the Psalter. I think it applies... Um, to all the instruction that we find in the revealed history of God in the Old Testament and in the New, and most importantly, in Jesus Christ. So it, it applies beyond the Psalter. Um, but think about it this way. Without, without a regular habit of ingesting the Word of God found in the Scriptures, what we do is we leave ourselves susceptible then to walking, to standing, and to sitting in the wrong places. Without a regular habit of ingesting the Word of God, we leave ourselves susceptible to standing, to walking, to sitting in the wrong places. So if you want to discover the state of blessedness and true joy, um, what it does is it works in tandem with this habit of delighting in the counsels of God. This is totally an aside, but this week I looked up the word hashtag blessed in Instagram. I didn't find much of this. It's really interesting. Uh, but, you know, when we think of, like, hashtag blessed in the Christian life, uh, this is Psalm 1. It, and so um, that kind of reading of the scriptures is not just reading to get through it. It's an exercise of prayer. So I don't know about you, but I make a habit of the things that I delight in. So when we think of the word delight, 
Um, I make a habit of, of those things. I look forward to hiking in nature. I was delighted to receive a pawpaw this morning, uh, of which I went hiking yesterday, and we went hunting for pawpaws. I make time for that because I delight in discovery. Uh, I make coffee every morning, and I delight in it. The sunshine shines a little bit brighter after that is ingested. And I look forward um, every Sunday afternoon to a nice adult beverage. That is something I look forward to and I delight in. Uh, Those habits, they delight me. And because they delight me, I make space for them every day, every week, uh, whatever the rhythm is. And then when they're not there, I actually miss them because I find joy in them. And meditating on God's word... And this psalm should become a delight for us. Meditating on God's word should be a delight. Something that we make time for. That we miss when it's not there. And the fruits of that meditation then should fuel the things that we talk about. They should fuel the things that we look forward to. That we hope for. And, And I grew up doing this daily Bible reading plan. So I got to know the scriptures really well. And that's a good thing. But it often felt like a box to check off. Right, And so as I was reading these things, if I missed a day, and it was like three chapters of Leviticus, now I'm reading six chapters of Leviticus in one morning. Um, And and I'm not sure how much prayer was happening during that reading, but I got it done, right? And um, But we need to read in such a way to delight in God's word. That's how to read. Uh, One of the things that's troubling in, in the church is that People will read, but they don't know how to read the scriptures. There's a Christian way of reading, and it's associated with prayer. And so I'll make time to listen to morning prayer, sometimes in the car on the way somewhere, because I'm really not distracted by other things at that point. Uh, Perhaps you have a few verses each day that you're just meditating on throughout the day, interspersed with short prayers throughout the day, so that you're kind of consecrating the normal moments of your day. And making them holy for the Lord. You could even make it a habit to memorize the scriptures. At certain times and places, monks in the Christian tradition were required to memorize the entire Psalter before they were accepted into the religious life. Um, The entire Psalter. And so when you memorize something, it becomes easier to actually meditate on it. You don't have to think about um, memorizing it. You've got it internalized, and it just comes up. And you can and meditate on it you know, in the moments of your day in different ways, because you are different every day. The point is that we read in such a way that God's word becomes a delight to us. In one of his writings, I mentioned a few weeks back, St. Isaac of Nineveh. Without apology, I mention him again. Um, and in St. Isaac of Nineveh, one of the things he talks about is doing the daily prayer office, which we have in our Book of Common Prayer. And one thing that strikes me that he said is, as you're reading a psalm, and God strikes you with something, in a positive way, if something strikes you as you're reading that psalm, stop. Just stay there. Meditate on that. Rather than trying to focus on getting through the whole office. Uh, And I like that flexibility. We need to make sure that our meditation of of scripture is not the same as just reading a newspaper or reading an article. As good as those things are. Uh, But it's interspersed with prayer, with confession, with thanksgiving, with meditating on God's word. The way he's speaking to us through, through the words that we read, through the things that we hear, through the conversations we're having. It's an act of prayer to read this way. God's word needs to be so deep in us that 
It forms us and it influences our thoughts and our desires. And it even frames our day-to-day experience. And so being blessed involves delighting in and meditating on God's word. Being blessed also means that our works actually prosper and have real significance in the economy of the kingdom of God. There's an analogy in verse 3, if you have your Bibles in front of you. um, Verse 3 talks about uh, a tree and water. And he says that this person is, is going to be like one who is planted next to streams of water. The tree isn't just a volunteer tree that has sprung up out in the wilderness and is hanging on by a thread. Maybe it did spring up that way, but somebody has taken that tree and they have actively planted it in a place that it will thrive. It's not in the wilderness. There's intentionality. And knowing the word of God isn't always about answers. It's about finding life. It is becoming that tree that is being planted by God next to streams of water where we will thrive. And fruit-bearing trees, when you think about it, they go through a lot. Um, When you think about how they have to be out in the hottest part of the year, uh, often in the sun, uh, for their fruit to ripen, they go through a lot. And and if they don't have plenty of water, then their leaves are going to start to brown and shrivel. And, And if their leaves start to brown and shrivel, the fruit won't develop. And so I think that feels true for you and for me as well. When we think about the significant types of growth, times of growth that we look back on, we can say that is where God really grew me through something. Um, There are often seasons of trial and in having to walk through something really challenging. So in those seasons, I think there's a real danger of withering. But what God promises here, and again, this is God's promise, is that the The person who is delighting in the instruction of the Lord is being nourished for the heat. The person being uh, nourished or delighting in the instruction of the Lord is being nourished for the heat of the hottest part of the day. God has planted them by the waters of life and it says their leaf doesn't wither and that their fruit produces in its season. In the Psalms, when we think about blessedness, it's this state of happiness a happiness that comes from well-being and righteousness and, um, and uprightness. It begins with someone who is uh, deeply committed to learning and to walking in the counsel of God. There are a lot of conceptions we have about the good life, happiness, the state of blessedness. But here it begins with someone committed to learning and walking in the counsels and the instruction of God. And it results in somebody whose work has real significance. Even when the world doesn't ascribe it real significance, in God's economy, it really matters. Their labor isn't in vain. So the blessed life, happiness, the good life, whatever words we want to use to describe this, it's discovered when we submit our story to the story that comes from God's instructions and his guidance. And God then inviting us to submit what doesn't yet feel true to what ultimately is true. And, and he encourages us to set ourselves firmly in the place where you and I are actually going to flourish. We're setting ourselves firmly where, where we'll flourish when we're planted by streams of water, which come through the word of life. So then what he does is he does a contrast in verse 4. We've talked about the blessed one. And then there's a contrast that says, not so the wicked. This sort of uh, amorphous group, the wicked. 
The metaphor changes from being a tree that's planted by water to a harvest that happens. A harvest of grain that somebody is tossing up with their winnowing fork and the wind is coming through and the seed is falling and it's useful and being collected. The chaff is just being scattered and blowing away in the wind. It says that, uh, it goes on to say that the wicked are not going to stand in the judgment. And so in some ways this word stand shows up in verse 1 and in verse 5. So it sets up this, um, this contrast. And I think what verse 1 and verse 5 together suggest is that if you stand in faithlessness, then you won't stand at all. If you stand in faithlessness, you won't stand at all. If we want to stay on what Jesus describes as the narrow way, we need to watch uh, who it is that we walk alongside. We need to watch where it is that we stand. And we need to watch who our friends and our counsel are. And so this last section invites us into the good life. And, the con- and, and in contrast, there's a contrast that's set before us that is uh, under the watchful care of God. So what he says is, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perishes. Lasting value comes in the way of life uh, that the Lord oversees. The Lord watches over the way that leads to life. And again, this picture in the psalm seems so idyllic. Um, I wish that that matched my experience all the time. I don't know about you. um, Maybe you're in this place where you're going, you know, that doesn't match what I've experienced. And I think that because of that gap between our experience and the the wisdom of this psalm and, and the rightness of this psalm, it is an invitation for us to prayer through the rest of the Psalter. When we read the rest of the Psalter, we get into lament. We get into the complicated scenarios of friends leaving us, being abandoned. And it's not that this person has necessarily become unrighteous. They experience suffering. So this psalm sets up this picture to invite us to pray. It's an invitation to submit our mess before the promises of God. And as we learn to delight in God's instructions, then we grow in our understanding of what the good life is. The good life involves deep moments of suffering, of conflict, and pain. But it also involves profound joy and gladness. Because there are times where we're going to see the promises of God worked out in the everyday faithful stuff of life that we go through. And what's true in the Psalter was true of Christ, the Word of God Himself, incarnate. Who Remember, we've been in the book of Hebrews the last several weeks. It says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right? So even, even Jesus, the word of God, uh, who is the ultimate example of you know, the good life, the blessed one, endured the cross. So the good life is marked by faithfulness. And the joy uh, of, of that can be found in each day as we walk with the Lord. It might be uh, in the sleeping child after an hour of trying to get them to nap. It, it, it might be in the coffee that you're having with somebody, just a moment of quiet, uh, that you're, you're getting to know them. It, it might be in the work that you're called to do. All of these moments, um, C.S. Lewis uses a fancy word that I had to look up in a dictionary, he calls it coruscations of divinity. Uh, and it's like the sun is shining its rays, and when you see the rays, you know the sun is there. And all of these things that we go through, there are moments of joy that show us that the promises of God will ultimately be fulfilled. They are coruscations of divinity. You can impress one somebody over lunch with that. 
uh, as God's word is our meditation, and then it comes back to us in the everyday stuff of life, what it reminds us is that our labor is not in vain. What we do matters in the economy of God. And in everything that God calls you to, there is this opportunity to live faithfully, to be on the path of life, to see glimpses of the blessed life. Um, And God invites us to submit those things that don't uh, yet feel true to what ultimately is true by encouraging us to set ourselves firmly in the places where you and I will flourish. Let me pray for us. Go before us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor and further us with your continual help that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name. And finally, through your mercy, obtain everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.